0: We got to share each other's messages with one another. Um, Just so folks know, like there was a time I think Chris had a fever not too long ago. I guess it was a couple series back where he woke up one Sunday morning with a fever about 104, and he sends me a quick text, "Hey, I can't make it. You're on today, even though it's not your Sunday to preach." And so, all right, good. Yeah, and I think I think there was a. Grace to you and peace, as Paul would say, but no, I think there was a good luck in there. But as but so we do share our messages back and forth that we plan with one another in case such an emergency were to arise. And so it's kind of a neat thing that we can do that way, that we can share that that load um, of the work in the church together. So we're going to be in Ephesians chapter one today, looking at verses three through 14. Um, there's so much here. Uh, I really, this passage is great and there's a lot. We're actually going to do this. You'll notice it said part one in the title. We're going to take this and look at both of this, all of this stuff over a two week kind of period of time as we're looking through this. But if you've got your Bible, go ahead and open it up to Ephesians chapter one, verses three through 14. If not, it is on the screen for you to see and you can follow along there. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. so that we who were, in, who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you have also heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. pray with me? Father, we just thank You we thank you for this, this prayer that, that Paul not just uttered, but wrote down for us to, to continue to read and see the blessings of the gift that you have given to us through salvation. Father, we thank you that there's, there's a lot of deep theological things happening here, that there's so much that Paul in this, in this simple 12-verse prayer is teaching us about your character. And We thank you for that. Father, we pray that as as we go into this time of worshiping you through the hearing and responding to the word, that you would speak to our hearts. You would continue to challenge us, convict us through your word. Father, I pray that you would put me aside so that you may be glorified and you may be exalted. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So one of the things that, that we like to joke around a little bit about is his church leadership is how when we read through a lot of the, the works of Paul in particular in Scripture, how the Apostle Paul loves a run-on sentence. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a school teacher. Leah's a school teacher. We, we try to correct as many of these bad grammar mistakes as possible. But here we've got the Apostle Paul writing run-on sentences throughout. If you're looking at, at our translation of the Scripture that we're using today, the ESV, you'll notice that verses 3 through 9 the way it's written here is one sentence and verses 11 through 14 is one sentence well we have to thank some monks about 600 years or so back for doing that because in the greek paul writes this from verse 3 to verse 14 as one sentence it's one continual sentence that we have broken into 12 different verses as those verses were were kind of put together to help us memorize and learn scripture um, easier. So it's one beautiful, eloquent sentence that's a praise and a prayer to God the Father, Jesus the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And he's praising them for their cosmic roles that, that each one of them have played in Paul's, and then in our turn, Paul's reconciliation and his salvation. And we are, are part of that. Those of us who have Christ in our lives, we also have that same reconciliation and same salvation that Paul has, and we see the roles of God the Father, the roles of Jesus Christ the Son, and the roles of the Holy Spirit being played out in our lives too. Like I said, this passage, even though it's just one sentence in the original Greek, has has so much for us to look at. Paul, in this one sentence, gives us several key doctrines of our faith. The doctrine of the Trinity is taught here. The doctrine of election is taught here. The doctrine of adoption is taught here. The doctrine of redemption is taught here. And the doctrine of assurance through the Holy Spirit is all taught in this one sentence. Now, today, for the sake of time, I'm going to focus on the doctrines of the Trinity and I'm going to focus on the doctrines of election, just because as Leah was proofreading my sermon last night... She looked at me, and she goes, you do realize that this is twice as long as every other 30 to 5, 35 to 45 minute sermon you've ever preached, right? Oh, okay. So she, she kind of helps me out a little bit with that. She reminded me that this is, this is a big one. So we're going to break this into a couple sections. We're going to do part of it this week and part of it next week. And, and it's my prayer that I handle all of it rightly before our holy and just God. Paul starts out with this phrase, blessed be the God. This is, this is a beautiful phrase. It's a common start to the daily prayers of, of Jewish culture at the time. This is how Paul would have done his daily prayers. He would have started out saying, blessed be to the God of, and he would have started saying some different things. Um, and, and Paul continues his praise of God for his sovereign grace and salvation, which, which we as believers, we get to take a part of. We can enjoy that salvation through Jesus Christ. And this passage is this, this beautiful passage of praise. It's, and praise is such an important thing to us when we think about it, because, because God designed us from before time. And, and as he did that, he made us for praise. He made us so that, that we want to praise things. We want to worship things. We want to exalt things. And what Paul does is he reminds us where that praise belongs. And it belongs with God. Right? We've got to have the right object of our worship, and that right object of our worship is God. See, we've got to think about when Paul's writing this a little bit. Paul's writing this passage while he's in prison. And Paul's in prison and still thinking about his salvation, still thinking about what God has done for him, and he's still offering up praises to our triune God. And this is, this is just such a wonderful reminder from Paul, that, that we as believers and followers of Christ, we should be praising and blessing God for our spiritual blessings that we have received, no matter what our current physical circumstances. That if we are in Christ, our physical circumstances, yes, they're rough, and yes, they're hard, and yes, they're difficult, but God has got a purpose for them, and He's going to see us through them in the long run. We just finished up reading through the book of Job on our Wednesday night Bible study time, and whew, you want to talk about getting a doctrine of suffering down and understanding what that means, how, how God wants us to suffer and, and what God does through suffering, go through and read Job. Here Paul is suffering. He's in prison, but he's still able to, to look at God and go, you are amazing and you are wonderful and you're blessing me even though I'm in prison. I was just thinking about how crummy it's going to be to get up tomorrow morning and have to go back to school after fall break, right? I've kind of enjoyed a week off here in the fall, and, and Paul's saying, really? I'm, <laughs> I've been in prison, dude. <laughs> Are you sure? Yeah, it convicts me too, right? As we read this passage, Paul's reminding us and he's inviting us to take a, a close look at the one whom we worship. He's reminding us that we have this triune God who is, who is one in essence, one in power, one in might, yet individual in their role. The Father chooses us, the Son redeems us, the Holy Spirit assures us. This is our God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one. This, this beautiful, marvelous mystery. And he gives into the fact that we are chosen by the Father. We see this specifically mentioned in verses 4 and 5, right? Even as he chose us before the foundation of the world. And then in verse 5, he, he says, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. This he chose us in him means that God the Father chose Christians in the Son, and this took place in eternity past. The God who, who created time stands outside of time, and knows exactly what will happen within the time as you and I understand it. I'm not even sure I understood what I just said, but I know that God gets that, that he's bigger than all of that, that God is outside of time, created it, and has a plan for it as you and I are in it. That's who God is. This is is an indicator of God's eternality. Right? That, that, that in that in, in that eternity, God the Father has a role, and he's leading and he's directing the Son, and He's leading and directing the Spirit. God the Father, Jesus the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are equal in deity. They're equal in their attributes, but they are one in essence. And each one of them plays a unique role within the Godhead. See, God's initiative is redeeming the believer from sin and death. And it was not something he just did on a whim. It wasn't like God created everything, saw Adam and Eve sin in the garden and go, oh, now I got to fix this problem. No, God had a plan before the garden. God had a plan before he ever said, let there be light in the beginning. And if you are in Jesus Christ, you were part of that plan from that time. Everything that God has done was planned and thought through purposefully. It was something planned from before time began, and he planned it in Christ. God has chosen his people in love so that, so that nothing that we can do, we can't take any credit for our own salvation. Everything about how God saves his people from sin comes from God. And him saying he predestined us. God's election or choosing of Christians entails him predestining them to something. Right, You're not just saved from your sin. You are saved to a bigger purpose. You've been predestined by God for a purpose bigger than yourself. In this case, Paul says that we are predestined to be adopted as sons. All Christians, at Paul's time as he's writing this letter to the church in Ephesus, all of the Christians, the males, the females, the Jews, the Gentiles who have come to Jesus Christ, they are all adopted as sons. And, and you've got to understand kind of the, the understanding here in the ancient Near East that this is a really important mark of distinction. This means that all who have repented and called on Christ for salvation, all who walk with Him faithfully and have equal footing of the inheritance of the kingdom of God, And that's important because in the ancient Near East, only the sons could receive an inheritance. you got to even think, back in the ancient temple in Jerusalem, there was a court for the women and children, and the men could advance further. Paul is saying, now that Jesus is here, you are adopted as sons. You are all equal in your inheritance in the kingdom of God. No one is above anyone else here except our God. We're all on equal footing. See, the the, that's, the beautiful thing here is the church of Jesus Christ, the global church, the universal church is made of individuals with many diverse backgrounds who are all united in Christ. I, I've had the opportunity to worship in settings outside the United States. And, and it's an amazing thing to be in a country where you're not speaking the language but yet the tune sounds familiar. And so you know the song and the lyrics that are in your language to the tune, and you worship those brothers and sisters in Christ. There's something beautiful about that, knowing that our God designed that on purpose to glorify himself. And, and the idea that God choosing a people for his own glory is, is not a new idea. This isn't something that Paul contrived as, as he was writing the letters to the saints of the early church. This goes far back as Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, right? God chose Abraham to make a nation for him. God chose Israel to be the light among the nations and declares that in Deuteronomy chapter 7 and Isaiah 42. Jesus chose his 12 disciples to bear fruit and to make more disciples. And he says that about them in, in John fifteen sixteen. See, we see God choosing frequently within scripture. And it's interesting because it shouldn't be that big of a deal to us that God makes a choice. We make choices, right? Our own statement of faith, the Baptist faith and message 2000 says this about election. Election is the gracious purposes of God according to which he regenerates, justifies, sanctifies, and glorifies sinners. It is consistent with the free agency of man and comprehends all the means in connection with the end. It is the glorious display of God's sovereign goodness. It is infinitely wise, holy, and unchangeable. It excludes boasting, and it promotes humility. So as we think about this thing election, let's kind of take a look at, at a few of the just observations that we can make about election we see from this particular text of Scripture. First, election is this great mystery. As we read this passage, we see God doing things before the foundation of the world. This speaks again to God's eternal secret purposes, and it recognizes that He, right, God, works all things according to His will. This is the mystery. God is God we are not. Right? His ways are not our ways. Deuteronomy 29.29 teaches us this. He says, It says here God is, is talking through Moses. It says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that, may, that we may do all the words of his law or this law. The mysteries of God are, are those great things to sit around and have a cup of coffee and chat about. But it should be okay for us to have mystery with God. It should be okay for us to just accept that He is God and we are not, and what he, we don't understand about Him is okay for us to not understand. Encountering mystery within Scripture, encountering mystery within the character of God, encountering mystery in experience that we've had with God should encourage us to dig deeper into His Word. It should should be a cue to us to start worshiping and praising him for being so beyond our finite thoughts. Second, we see that while election is a great mystery, there are other attributes of God that are affirmed in this text. We see that God is perfectly loving, and he says that in verses 4 and 5. That God is eternally sovereign, we see that in verse 5. God is gloriously gracious As he's described in verses 6 through 8, we also see that God is infinitely wise in verse 8. I love how Psalm 115.3 expresses this. It says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. Hear that again. Our God is in the heavens and He does all that He pleases. See, God does what is consistent with who He is. I am inconsistent with myself frequently, as are all of us, right? God is not. God is consistently consistent with who He is. He is loving. Election is an expression of God's love for us. In love, He predestined us. He is sovereign. God's choosing is simply one expression of His eternal control over all things. He is gracious God's choosing is an expression of His grace to sinners. Right? Because while I was still yet a sinner, you still loved me. God's choosing is is not about anything we have done, it's all about what He has done, and it's all about His grace. He is wise, and God's choosing is an expression of His infinite wisdom. Third, we, we see that. Election is a great mystery, and there's these many attributes of God being affirmed in this text. It doesn't deny our personal responsibility to respond with belief in the gospel. In Him you also, who have heard the word of truth. I love that Paul uses that word of truth. The gospel of your salvation, and have believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. One must believe. One must believe. There's there's no way around that. We just finished a sermon series through the Sermon on the Mount, and there are people that come to Jesus at the end of time, and Jesus himself is saying this in Matthew chapter 6. They're going to come to me, and they're going to say to me, but Lord, Lord, I did these things, and I did them in your name, and I'm going to look at them, and I'm going to say, department from me, for I never knew you. They liked all the trappings of Jesus. They liked all the things of Jesus. They liked all of the the idea of Jesus. But they didn't know and believe and follow and walk with Jesus. We still have to believe and know and walk and follow. we must believe. Election and our faith go hand in hand. When Charles Spurgeon was asked how one could reconcile God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, it's, it's reported that Spurgeon retorted back to the person, well, I never reconcile two old friends. There are many wonderful, mysterious truths in Scripture, and, and that we be- allow and we believe them, and we allow God to harmonize them within us. This is one of those things in which we can believe both truths and then allow God to do the harmonizing. Russell Moore, who is a a pastor and a a teacher at seminary, wrote a book called Adopted for Life, a fantastic book, a book I, I would encourage you all to read. And he talks about election in Adopted for Life in this way. He says, God is not some sort of metaphysical airport security screener. Waving through the secretly pre-approved and sending the rest into a holding tank for questioning. God is not treating us like puppets made of meat, forcing us along by his capricious whim. Instead, the doctrine of election tells us that all of us who have come to know Christ are here on purpose. See, this section of Ephesians focuses on God's activity in the salvation process. We could spend days talking about the finer points of these topics, and, and we could have wonderful discourse on all of them. But today, I, I don't have that kind of time. I'm going to stick with what's here in the text in front of me, and I'm going to deal with that the best way that the Holy Spirit allows me to deal with that. Right? It's not my purpose to, to dig into all of the Scripture and try to harmonize man's responsibility with God's sovereignty. And here's the thing, as we read what Paul has read in this this beautiful prayer that he's writing here that is verses 3 through 14, that's not Paul's purpose either. Paul's purpose was to praise the holy, sovereign, just God who saves sinners. Church, let that be our purpose with this passage as well. Let us praise the holy, sovereign, just God who saves sinners sinners. The fourth thing that Paul points out to us here is that our election is in Christ. See, we, we are chosen in the chosen one. That it's Jesus who does this. this. is We are chosen in the chosen one. Everything about our salvation is about Jesus. It's not about us. Paul will soon tell us as we continue to read, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The clay doesn't tell the potter what to make. We were chosen in the chosen one. We are his workmanship. Finally, as we kind of look at this passage and, and we see all the things that it's being taught here, what, everything that we've seen so far about this, an election in this passage, it should humble us. It should humble us. That we, for whatever reason, God so chose, chose us as followers of Him. He's pulled us out of the rest of the world to say, I want you to do something for me. It should humble us that He thinks of us at all. The right response for being chosen for salvation is is awe, it's worship, it's obedience to God. He has done something we cannot do for ourselves. He has rescued us from our sin. He has lifted us out of the mire. He has done great things and made us new creatures in Christ Jesus. I can't do that for me. But he has. And as Paul starting to pin this letter through the Holy Spirit, he's reminded of that. And he goes into this, this passage of prayer, this section where he's thankful for that. And as I think about that, I, and I think about how, how difficult the doctrine of election may be for some of us to understand, or, or how difficult it is for some of us to wrestle with, the thing that, that is super important is that it should never divide us. These are the words of God in Scripture. He uses words like elect and predestined, and I don't necessarily understand all of that. But I know that it should never divide us, but it should unite us in worship, and it should unite us in awe of a mighty and majestic God. It should remind us that that He is sovereign, He is wise, and He is loving, and He lavishes grace upon us. And it should remind us to pray, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for saving me, even when I did not deserve it, even when I did not deserve your love, even when I rebelled against you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you. And the beautiful thing is, is is, the goal of all of this, when, when God chooses you out, when he selects you, when, when, when you are his in Christ, the goal of all of this is to make us holy. He chose us in him so that we should be holy and blameless before him in verse 4. And not only are we saved from the sin that corrupts us and pushes us away from, from God our creator, but we are saved so that we may be more like Christ. Because without Christ, we are not holy. It is Him and it is His work that makes us holy. We can stand before God because of Christ and only because of Christ. I have no footing before God without Jesus. We see in this passage that God chose a people to be holy. And the, of, the goal of holiness is not optional if you claim Jesus Christ. The goal of holiness is not optional if you claim to be a Christian. God has chosen his people to be blameless before him. That is the purpose of the election. Holiness expresses a moral purity that comes only from God and a blamelessness that expresses freedom from guilt of sin in which you used to walk. And he takes that all away in that one moment. And I get there is a lot to chew on in this passage. And I have probably given some folks a whole lot of brain ache right about now. That's why I've broken this passage into two sermons. Right? We said that Paul hit on five big things. The Trinity, election, adoption, redemption, and assurance. Next week... I'm going to talk about adoption, redemption, and assurance. We've looked at the Trinity, and and anything that I could say or do more about the Trinity, I would goof up. The Trinity is one of those, again, marvelous mysteries that that there are not proper words in English that we can express and, and describe it well without sliding into something accidentally that would be heretical, and I don't want to do that. Election is, again, one of those beautiful, wonderful mysteries of Scripture that, that, yes, God is sovereign and He chooses His people, but man is not free from His responsibility. And I can't harmonize that, but my God can, and I'm going to let Him. Because I don't know what else to do. So we're going to look at some of these things next week. And, and maybe, maybe today you're thinking to yourself, as you've heard all of this, man, I, I, don't, I don't know that I feel really chosen by God. I don't feel assured that I know the God that you've described who who chooses us in love at all. Or maybe you're thinking, man, I need to know this God, and I need to know Him deeper. How do I know this God? Understand this. We are all sinful and rebellious people. We have rebelled against God and His truth, because, and because of that, we deserve death and eternal separation from His favor. Even those of us who are in church leadership, We fall into that category. There's nothing new about that for us either. This is who we are. But God and His love for the people that He created, understand this, God and His love for the people He created designed a way for the rebel to become a saint. Jesus, God in human flesh, God the Son who redeems us, came and lived among us. And in his life here on earth, he fulfilled the law of God in ways that we could not. He lived a a perfectly sinless life to be the perfect sacrifice that we need. He has done for us what we could never do. He rescues us. He takes our sin, he takes our shame, and he places them on the cross with his body. And he willingly, willingly pays for our sin by sacrificing himself for our sake. Jesus was then raised from death to provide the only way for us to be rescued and restored to right relationship with God. we got to admit our our sinfulness. we got to stop trusting in ourselves and our power. And we must ask Jesus to forgive us and rescue us. And when we do this, we do it truly and honestly. And we say, I want to follow you. I want to surrender my life to you, Jesus. Jesus brings a new life into you. And he begins to make you, begins the work of making us new creatures. God through Jesus renews all aspects of our lives. And it's only God through Jesus that you can truly know God. It's only that way. And if you haven't surrendered your life over to Jesus yet, I encourage you to do so today. If talk to me, talk to Chris, message us if you're listening online. We want you to know Jesus. If you're already a follower of Christ, man, think about all that we can praise our God for from what we've read in this passage. Think about that. I want you to to ponder how mighty and how wonderful our God is. I encourage you to seek to know the Father who chose you by spending time in fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ and, and by reading the word we have been given that reveals our God to us. And I'm going to tell you something. If you are struggling today with the words in Scripture that we read, if you're struggling with this this idea, of the doctrine of election that we see here in 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 Ephesians one three through six, I want you to take heart. It's okay to struggle and wrestle with the Word of God. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a great and marvelous mystery. I love how I've heard Pastor J.D. Greer out of, out, of, out of North Carolina describe the doctrine of election. He says something along these lines, I don't fully understand God's election, but it does seem to me that the more I share the gospel, the more people seem to be elected. Church, hear that. Not only do we grow closer to God through, through fellowship with other believers, And we grow closer to God through reading His Word, but we grow closer to God by joining our God and His mission to proclaim the gospel of Jesus to others. That's your challenge today if you're a follower of Christ. Proclaim this gospel message that our God loves His people enough to take the rebel and make them a saint through Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, I just thank you. I thank you for this time we've had to be in your word. I thank you for tough teachings and how they challenge us to seek you out more, how they challenge us to dig into your word more. I pray, Lord, that as as we are proclaiming the gospel, we see more of your elected. We see more and more you choosing people out for the sake of Christ and for the proclamation of the gospel. Father, I pray that as a a church, as this body of believers that that meets here on Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings, that you would have us do the same. You You would have us draw and grow closer to you by joining you in your mission to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, not just here in Martinsville, but everywhere we go. As we go, we proclaim the gospel. Father, help us seek to do just that. I ask, Lord, that you would just continue to to bless us through your word, continue to speak to us through your word, that you would challenge us, you would convict us. Teach us your ways. It's in Jesus' precious and holy name I pray. Amen. Amen.